Welcome to the Practical Missions Podcast. I'm your host. You know, when I first decided to make this podcast, I called it the Practical Missions Podcast because I didn't want it to be a podcast just about strategy, nor did I want it to be a podcast about, you know, kind of these like superhuman stories from the field, these kind of quote unquote missionary stories that we tell when we go back to our home countries and have to speak in churches. I wanted it to be about the mundane, the normal stuff that every worker experiences but nobody really talks about. I think we really get to the heart of the podcast, the Practical Missions podcast in today's episode. I talked to a guy who him and his wife served for over 40 years cross-culturally in some of the hardest places in the world. They raised their families in very restrictive places and we get to walk with this guy how they raised their kids, what they did wrong, what they did good, what they did for education, how they decided to go back to the West, how they decided to go back out to the field after their children graduated from university, and then even how their children's experience in missions as as MKs affected their lives in the future and how that created or formed their identity. It's just a fascinating conversation I have. And it's also packed with wisdom as well. I really hope you enjoy today's podcast. I know I did. As always, you can go to pmpod.org and find all of our podcasts there on the website. Or you can type into any podcast search engine, pmpod, and there you can subscribe to the channel enjoy today's episode thanks for being on the podcast with me today we were just talking before i hit record about what you've been doing over the last 40 years in missions and your cv as it were it has a list of of countries that some some of i think like give me chills up and down my spine some of these countries are the countries I'm sure you you love them and you love the people in them, but they uh, they're the places that I pray God would never send me. I feel like where I'm serving is hard, but where you've served is like times ten hard. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. I think maybe the first thing I'm, I'm wondering is like as you look out over your forty years on the field, you've probably come across dozens, if not hundreds, of other workers different organizations, same organization, doing different things. Then you have your own life and your own family. What do you think are the like the characteristics of a worker that you're looking for? Or what, what do you think like it takes for somebody to make it long-term in missions? First of all, thanks so much for inviting me. I hope I can have some things that will be beneficial to share with you. I think the qualities are that a healthy relationship with God, a healthy relationship Mm. in the family. It doesn't mean always doing well in every area, but those kinds of things, just a transparent, open relationship with God, being able to bring your struggles and challenges to him and worship him and have a good team around you, not just in family is, of course, critical. Healthy family life is critical, but then a team of friends that you can relate to and and esteem and work with, it, it really helps if the atmosphere within the team is good and if there are conflicts that they can be worked through. Being adaptable into situations, it was very hard mm. in my early years to real, feel like I was a total failure when I had to leave the country that I was planning to stay in for my whole life, whole ministry life. Mm. And I was thinking that I was a failure. But then uh, over time, I I learned the lesson that in the part of the world we work in, we probably need to be more adaptable and location is not the critical issue. It's that we are living in healthy relationship and willing to move uh, when we can no longer stay in a certain location or with a certain people group because things change so much and to think that we have to stay with this group or that group or do this thing in this place when political and social and family situations change, it gets us stuck and then it's a, it creates a crisis like the one I had in my early years, uh, thinking that mm. I needed to be in one location with one people group 
and uh, realizing that it couldn't happen. And so my plan for God's plan for my life didn't work. So holding that location and people group fairly lightly and staying close with Jesus to the ability that we have. You know, we're all human and we have our ups and downs even in in our relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I think this is very interesting because I've, I always preach that we're not called to a place or to a people. We're, we're, called, to, we're called to the gospel. We're called to Christ. Uh, so no matter where we are, that's our calling. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to get kicked out of the country I'm in. You know, I feel this like, oh, I, I, I don't want to leave. Did you struggle with that conflict of, of like, I feel called to this place? And now in God's sovereignty, I can't go there? Yeah, well, I think uh, probably there was our mindset. My mindset could often be to trap, be trapped inside my own head rather than thinking, okay, God, mm. God is sovereign. And I, it's not necessarily that I'm, at least in the initial point of struggling about uh, having to leave the country that, and the people that I, I thought I was called to. My thing was, did I make a terrible mistake? Am I a pariah in God's kingdom? And those kind of self-judgment sort of issues were happening. And then something that really helped me was something that my Bible school teacher told me, and that was that God always reserves the right to do something better. And uh, mm. as I saw the work among this people group grow without any foreign workers inside the country, I thought, man, mm. they're actually taking off. They're doing great. Mm. <laughs> Maybe mm. it, was, it was a good thing that we all left because uh, we couldn't stay there. And and God knew that it was the time, the right time. And that's where that word sovereignty comes in, that that God, the sovereign God knew the timing to help the workers through that difficult choice of leaving or not being able to return or whatever. And it was the time was ripe and only a few workers could be engaged with those people in the country and, and others. Most of us never even were able to work in the country again. And the mm. work got better, not worse. So God was mm. doing, and that was that was looking back. It was wonderful to see, in the midst of the crisis, the Lord had to work with me to realize that some of the grieving and some of the self blame and all of that needed to drop off, and and, and God mm. was actually much bigger, and He still loved me. And he was going to use me somewhere else. I didn't need to be in that location. We can also often get this feeling that everything depends on yeah, us yeah, yeah. or everything depends on me. The ministry depends on me. Maybe we can go into that for a moment. Uh, I know you took a sabbatical. So you were in a country for 18 years mm -hmm. and then you took a sabbatical after that, I find this idea of taking sabbatical rest. I've been 15 years uh, in the Middle East, and I feel like I need physically, spiritually, emotionally, I need rest. I need a sabbatical. But then I feel like, on the other hand, oh, I can't walk away from the work for that long, for a year or whatever it is. What was it like for you taking that's sabbatical. Well, first, let me just jump a little bit back. One of the good things about the, the call was that I felt called to one location, and my wife really was affirmed by the Lord to work among another people group. And she had a picture that she was going to be involved with a certain people group, and actually she thought it was in a certain location. But over time, she realized, no, it wasn't the location. It was actually among the people who were actually in another country. But, mm. uh, so the same people group, but a different location. The same people group that she had on her heart, not that I had on my heart. Yeah, okay. God had to sort of work. He took a little, he had to take a little longer to help me realize that I could work with another people group. But uh, mm. it was very nice that my wife knew that she was going to be able to support that work in the other people group and my my i i grew deeply deeply to love this people group with all their ups and downs and ins and outs and drama and everything um sort of moving from them being my target to them being the people that god loved and i 
happen mm. too. Then I just got so involved in the practical relief and development work that we were doing and also in the ministry side as well that I was fully absorbed in that and mm. just cons- almost consumed in it. I look back and think, well, I actually I was pretty close to having two wives, my wife mm. and my work. And it was, I was just fully dedicated. I don't know if, yeah, I think a lot of my identity was tied up into what I could do, what I could Mm. accomplish. But it was also wonderful to see that God would use the skills that I was trained in to be able to be involved with people and with the people that I was working among. So that was a wonderful revelation. I just thought, oh, you just forsake all and all you're doing is, Mm. is, is, is telling people about Jesus. Well, that's not... God allowed, mm. God actually allowed me to use the the thing that my heart really wanted to be involved in, with the skills that I learned and adding more skills. But then I became so deeply enmeshed in it that the Lord knew that I needed to pull away. And actually, we had planned when our children were ending their secondary school education that we would go to my passport country and help them get their roots. But what happened was that a year before that happened, I was told that I couldn't work with the organization that I was working with anymore by the government. The government said, you are no longer allowed to be in this country. And I fought that and it broke my heart because it was the last year of my son's high school education. He had his friends, his buddies. He wanted to graduate with them. And actually, he had more faith that after I got kicked out that he could stay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going back, Dad, with or without no, you. No, no. He said, "We're go- don't, Dad, <laughs> just listen to this song. No doubt. God is going mm. to do it. And, uh, you know, mm. he was he had faith for all of us. And so I was going. <laughs> and, and so uh, what happened was I was told I couldn't get a visa. But then I went to another government official, and that government official said to me, I, I will try my hardest to get visas for your family. He, he didn't say that he would try and get a visa for me, but he said because of my son finishing school and, and things like that, he, and my mom, my wife, I mean, not my mom, my wife, <laughs> wanting to, uh, to be with the children uh, during that time, uh, he said, I'll do my best. And so we, we left the country, and I didn't have, we, none of us had a visa. Went back to the West and uh, celebrated the 50th anniversary of my wife's parents. And there, my wife and children got their visa. And when I, we went in to get the visas for, our, for them, I asked the officials at the visa office, is it possible to get a visa for myself uh, so I can visit my family? And they said, sure. So I thought, wow, this is great. But I couldn't go back to the house we lived in, to the agency Mm. I worked in. But it was almost like I'd heard a voice from God. You can take a sabbatical year. And uh, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And the Lord in that year helped me sort through the, the emotions, the level of commitment to an organization even more mm. than, you know, like I said, my, my second wife, that divorce occurred. And thankfully, I was able to hold that. Even though I loved what was being done, it was so wonderful. But I could let it go and let God say, mm. God, this is not in my hands anymore. And I will take this year as a sabbatical. And it was like, you're allowed to do this. I have have, uh, this in my hands. And so I was able to go, I visit my family and I got to see my daughter's soccer games and cheer Mm. for my son and, and just be around in and out of the country and be there for them in, in critical moments and be uh, able to Take that time in the Lord and being in that country, in and out of it, but not in the work. I was able to untangle whole bunch of emotions mm. and and thoughts and commitments and everything, and get prepared for going back to my home country. I wouldn't have been ready for for going 
zoom, you know, fly, take a flight, yeah. go back into something yeah. in, in the West and think, ah, I, I haven't processed how to leave it. So it was good to have that that year out of active work. Thankfully, I did have another role that I could fill in after that year was finished. And people, other people said, don't jump into another job right away. And so they were mm. able to guard me from jumping in right away into the job that had already been offered to me. And so that was wonderful to take that and get that perspective, affect that uh, emotional disentanglement from from the work that I mm. was involved in and get perspective. So that was really helpful for me. As you look back on those years of maybe enmeshment with, with, with work, with a mission, what do you think are some red flags that you would look out for now or or have other people look out for to see if, if people are overcommitting themselves to their work or unbalanced in their relationship to the ministry? Well, I think in our early years, I was just so flat out involved in the practical work and also ministry mm. work that I neglected my family a lot. And uh, so that and that caused all sorts of because uh, I could go run around all over the place. But my wife mm. with her two, with the two children and women were very restricted in that environment. So she couldn't get wow. out and she wasn't able to go move around. And it was very restrictive. And so I was not aware of the emotional and relational needs that my family had to be a good father, to be a good. And I would travel. And in those days, we didn't have uh, it was a fairly dangerous uh, context. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have all these things mm. to to com communicate. So my wife wouldn't know when I was coming home, either for dinner mm. or after a few days on the field. Mm. So it, it, I, the stressors that I put on my family were really, really bad. Thankfully, the Lord, through my wife, you know, we often hear the voice of the Lord for our wives or through other workers. And uh, she's, she said, I need one day without any active work or ministry. And so what we did was we actually turned the doorbell off in our house and we all wow. went out into the country, but we didn't answer the doorbell. We didn't, if we stayed home and we had a family day. And then I could use the organization's vehicles because we, had, we were a relief and development agency. So we had vehicles that were available. So I could use that, but my wife couldn't. And so one day, uh, two generous, generous people, when we were on a home assignment in my wife's home country, came up and gave a big chunk of money to us. And immediately we knew that was for a vehicle so she could drive that. Mm. And we, well, we went and bought that vehicle. And so she could move around freely in the environment with her car. And uh, we had those one day a week off when nothing was being done as far as ministry or the ministry in the practical side of the organization. Mm. So that that really helped a lot to, and even to go out into the country. And even though it was a restrictive environment, we could go to places where we could have picnics or uh, go on a boat or whatever, just to, to have family time. And that was really, really helpful. Why do you think it's so hard for workers to take time off like that? Well, I mean, I, this whole false impression that we have to be fully devoted and 100% devoted to serving the Lord and not realizing that God created us as family so mm. that family and relationships are much more important. Close relationships are much more important than the work. Uh, because mm. actually, if the relationships are not healthy, People can see it from a mile away. And if the relationships are healthy, they say, how, how is it that you're, you're asking your wife about what you want to do and, and, and saying you need to talk to her and mm. before you make a decision? And how is it that you, you care so much about your family and why your children, they're always behaving themselves. They're not so, uh, well, I wouldn't say always, but they're so well behaved. <laughs> are so well behaved and you think 
oh wow, well you don't know the inside of my family, but uh, they they that that actually we're in exhibit A of God's grace hmm. in our situations. Hmm. Even if we if we have struggles, that we often felt like we had struggles, but then when we compared those struggles with the struggles that our friends that we were seeking to minister to had, we realized that the Lord had put a, ba- a, a like a flywheel in our lives to keep us balanced. Even though we had little explosions, we we would our explosions were nothing in comparison to this to the twistedness and wickedness that the enemy was doing in the lives of mm. our dear friends. Mm. You know, and so we were getting the balance in some ways. And that family cohesiveness is such a powerful witness to Mm. the love of God. I mean, God created families, and families that are healthy is what God calls us to have, relationships that are healthy. If you're single, then healthy relationships with friends, healthy relationships with other people, that's that's so so essential and that takes time and it takes relaxation it takes stepping back and enjoying mm-hmm. things that maybe you feel like you don't deserve because you're on support or whatever but yeah the very things are the things that people say uh, pe- pe- they feel it and they sense it and they see these people love being together they love god and they enjoy each other, and they enjoy community, and they enjoy being with me too. And so that richness is much more the place that God wants us to be, because relationship is so important to Him. Yeah, it's it's a maybe we don't talk about that very much when we talk about uh, evangelism or discipleship, the powerful impact of living your life in your family in the community God has put you in. Do you think we're doing better as organizations now when it comes to uh, focusing on family, rest, marriage, making sure that the, the, there's healthy ris- the rhythms of, of work and rest within marriages, within families? Do you think we're doing better now than we were 30 or 40 years ago? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think uh, there's much more concentration on on doing well. Although I must say that some of the leaders that I've had, one mm. wife of one of the leaders that they, they were a leader couple. And she said, if I'm discipling all these people and evangelizing all these people and my family falls apart, what kind of witness is mm. that? And then mm. the other couple, they didn't have children, but they practice a life of enjoying good meals, friendship, relationships, so both of those were exemplary families in the early years of how to live healthy, balanced lives, you know. And the motto of the first guy was, if you feed the people well, they'll, do, they'll work wonderfully. I was, I was thankful for the early years leadership. It was more that mm. I felt I needed to do more. But now mm. I think on top of individual examples, there's some really good organizational things that are happening, like the whole people care movement mm. where people are asking how you're doing and sort of saying, is your life balanced? And do you have enough time for breaks and things like that? And because we lived in a very, very restrictive country, we actually had the privilege of being able to ask a psychologist to come every six months and evaluate mm. the health of our team. And that was so, wow. so helpful. She and that was well, that was back in the nineties. This was in the and uh, it was in the nineties and no, it was more in the two thousands when okay. we were yeah. Uh, yeah, in the early two thousands. That was. I was going to say, man, if this was in the nineties, you guys were way ahead of the no, curve. No, we were. And one of the really, really wonderful things was is it was there was a cross agency member care thing. Mm, so, yeah. So so if people had. And I am a huge, huge, huge fan of debriefing. Mm. So important when you have a critical incident, whether you think it's small or big, to debrief it with people, that it's mm. it's really, really uh, essential. I've been in a few situations, like uh, I was in a bomb blast in a church, and, and I was wow. able to debrief through that with people right away. 
and mm. I was doing a training. I was actually the trainer, but I asked the people that I was with, is it possible whenever I have a flashback, whenever I have a, 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 mm. a critical moment, can I just process that with you? And the people were so gracious and I just told them what I was thinking. And that debriefing helped me so much to hmm. be able, it didn't, it took a long time. It took a month or so, no more than a month, a few months before I was able to go into a church meeting wow. and feel safe because wow. I was always looking around to see, oh, is there going to be somebody coming in and throwing explosive devices into the room? But thankfully, because I debriefed directly and after that with a number of people, told my story. And I think some of the cultures we work with actually do this much better than we do, not in an official sense, but they, they process their grief, their struggles, their, their, the incidents that happen in their lives very openly. Whereas mm. the West, at least in the past, have been told, suck it up, just don't yeah. say anything. Then somewhere along the line, we get smacked in the back with this stuff that's going on in our lives that's messing us up because we bottled it up. I'm so thankful that now in the current stage of events of the growth of agencies, there's a lot more emphasis on member care. My, mm. my daughter and son-in-law also served in the same country we served in toward the end of our work in restrictive access countries. They served there and they stayed longer and they almost went into burnout. And it was wow. actually the member care people, that six month visit of the psychologist that told them, you need to take a break. Yeah. And uh, you, we need to help you debrief the events that have occurred in your life. There were some fairly, very traumatic things that happened in their lives as well. And uh, so they spent a whole week and our agency allowed them to do that and asked them to do that, actually, and prepared mm. them for doing that. And uh, a couple debriefed with them for for a whole week. They were smart enough to say, don't talk to us about this stuff that we're going through. Just be our parents. OK, <laughs> so, wow. so we were the parents, but they went through a very formal debriefing process and mm. then uh, and they left the field and they're they're doing well. And then a, a year or two later, there was a much more traumatic event that occurred with their friends inside the country, and they were able to deal with it. And I said, <laughs> I said to my son-in-law, I think maybe you should debrief this as well, even though you weren't there. You should debrief this as well. And he, he said, mm. no, not another week. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, maybe just a couple of days. And so he did debrief it. I think I might, I, I haven't checked back, but he thought he talked through it. And some of these traumatic events in our lives, it takes a long time to be able to have perspective, to, to be able to talk through everything and process everything and deal with everything. And that's, that's normal. That's not yeah. abnormal. That's normal. If a traumatic event, especially a, 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 a severe, severe one happens, you're going to act abnormally. You're not going to be able to think about things. I was not able to think about th uh, even mm. going to church or singing. I couldn't sing. I could Singing was not something I wanted to do. My, my eardrum mm. was pierced or uh, broken. Oh. So I couldn't sing. It was... Uh, and so... To be able to process through these things was really, really helpful. And to get out the thoughts and the struggles. But for some, it takes longer. Some people and also some situations. And uh, some people need medication for the rest of their lives. And that's not a sin. That's not wrong. It's just mm. a way to be able to cope well. I, I'm very much in favor of the direction in which agencies are going where they have an active member care thing, and even more so that they are actually asking how teams are doing and that self-care within the team is very good. Hmm. Um, one of the things that we also did with our workers is we said, because of this pressure situation that you're in, on a regular basis, you need to leave the context within which you're working and get out of the country, especially for single mm. women. Single women are the more faithful uh, group of people in the work. They needed to get out of the pressure cooker of being stuck in their homes and, and not able to move around. So they could go back to wherever they felt comfortable, usually their home country, and spend 
time away. And even in the summers when the country we were in was super hot, they could actually spend uh, months away and decompress and be themselves mm. and rest and recuperate and and have coffee with people and go walk, go for walks and do things that were healthy life. And then those people stay longer. So you're actually mm. doing yourself a service by allowing people to get out of their pressure cooker contexts and into situations where they can be restored, rested, and do normal life for a while, especially in contexts where it's highly restrictive and mm. pressured. Did you ever feel like you wanted to give up? Did you ever feel like you wanted to throw in the towel? Did you ever experience burnout or depression? These, like having, I can't imagine being in a situation where a bomb goes off and I'm there. Well, I, that was in my later time when I was going to and from my home country to these places. So I was able to get away and be in my home country uh, to recover and uh, debrief and deal with that. But during the time that we were in those 18 years, there were mm. times when I was super frustrated or depressed about relationships. There were sort of three areas that we were involved in. There was the, the practical work. There was the ministry to the local inquirers and believers. And then there was a, a foreign fellowship that we were involved in. Mm. And uh, usually we were firing on one or two cylinders, meaning mm. things were going well with at least one or two of them. And so we had to sort of say, okay, Lord, things are not going well here. They're not going well well there. Uh, but but there is some consolation in, in, in seeing how you are doing good things in this area. And... Mm. Uh, so sometimes it was in the foreign fellowship where we, we were encouraged and built up. Sometimes the foreign fellowship was having all sorts of issues and there were mm. fights and struggles and everything. And then sometimes in the work that we were doing, we would we'd see wonderful progress. And the other two groups, the, the local ministry stuff, we would be disappointed. We were working in a refugee context and people were leaving all the time. And, yeah. and, uh, and then also... As we got deeper and deeper into ministry with local people, we realized how twisted the enemy had made their lives. Mm. Some of the stuff. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, uh, one guy beat his life within an inch, an inch of her life, and the distrust they have. Another guy was murdered, and uh, mm. you know those kinds of. And you think, wow. yeah, and then they they deceive you, and and mm. all of that, and. Of course, they're brought up to be survivors, mm. and uh, survivors do whatever they can to survive. And the enemy just loves to twist people. And mm. to be exposed into that twistedness and that fallenness on an extended basis and be betrayed and be deceived and, and always on yeah. your guard and stuff like that, it, it, it takes its toll. So, mm. so those kind of things were really, really hard. Uh, sometimes it was with the expatriate workers. Sometimes we, uh, a couple of times I had to tell people they had to leave. Mm. And uh, that was, that just ate me up. That was stuff, mm. th those kinds of things made me much more depressed. I remember one time I like to learn languages. I like to learn new languages and I, I hate being the boss because they, sometimes you end up, having to deal with discipline issue. I had to tell this one guy he had to leave. And I was kind of whimpering to my wife, oh, let me just leave this whole organization and get out of here and go learn. Mm. learn. Let me just go learn a new language. I could just be mm. on my own. Even earlier than that, when I was first in this country, I had, for the first three years, there was no fruit. I mean, Fruit mm. meaning people coming to faith. Fruit, mm. God was teaching us a lot of things, and hopefully we were learning to be a little patient, although I was quite impatient. And I thought, let me, let's just go to a Western country and share there. 
And my wife had been in that Western country, and she said, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's, t- that's even tougher than here. You can't even talk wow. about Jesus there. <laughs> People wow. will go after you. They'll think you're in a sect or something. And so anyway. <laughs> But thankfully, when we went back after our home leave, one of the people from the country that I wanted to serve in came to me and said, I would like to follow Jesus. Wow. That was after having spent a year with a friend of mine who studied through the whole Bible with them. And then he left and said, please, can you follow up with this guy? And then <laughs> I get picked the ripe fruit that this guy uh, worked so hard on. And that's that's a what a privilege it was. Anyway, mm-hmm. there's many, multiple times when we wanted to give up. But then there were also times when, like we thought, we went as newly, not newlyweds, we'd been married two years and we'd had our first child. And we That's still quite, that's still quite early in the marriage process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, yeah. And we had our first child and then and, and he started growing and then his, his sister came along and, and we thought, okay, we're going to leave when he gets to kindergarten age. That's logical. You know, you, there was no school for, for our children. And then at the same time, both my wife and I said, no, the Lord seems to be giving yeah. us peace to stay longer. And just at that time, a teacher came from another country, and she had all the materials for preschool with her because she wanted to teach her children. And she said, I'm not just going to teach my kids. I'll teach your, your children, too. So she opened up her home, and she had a special room. She hmm. husband was working for the government. They were all both believers and active Christians, but he had a very good job. And she decided, I'm going to teach these children and create an environment for them that is helpful for learning. So that's what they did. And and then during that year, she said, you know, you you could start a school. She told my wife and and some other colleagues, "Uh, you could start a school. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Hey, why don't you just start a school? Yeah, well, that's what they did. And my wife is an incredibly organized person, and she was able to start a kindergarten. Incredible. Then she started recruiting, and thankfully the agencies that we were working with sent people to be teachers, which Mm. was really good. And uh, we were able to recruit a number of teachers, and then parents would do some teaching and and take responsibilities, especially for the lower levels. And then by the time our children ended middle school or secondary school or whatever, seventh, eighth grade, we had correspondence school. That was a total disaster. Our kids hated it. And co- correspondence school, what is that? Well, in this system, they sent you videos. You watch the videos and then you did your homework and then you sent it. I think you even sent it away and got it graded and got mm. it back. My wife, she monitored the kids and, and it was disastrous because my son was very, 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 very social. And it, it was mm. so hard for him to be on his own. But then he figured out how he could do his classes early in the morning and then go to the school where my wife was still teaching and others were still there, where he could hang out with the kids during recess and have mm. some social time. And that, that worked out well. And then we had this discussion with our children once they got into that area. Do you want to go home? Do you want to go to boarding school? Do you want to continue correspondence um, mm. school? Our son said, I'll I'll go in the 10th grade to boarding school. And uh, our daughter said, I'll go in the 9th grade. That was two two years later. Was the boarding school in the country you were serving in? Yeah, it was was, was, uh, about five hours drive. So we could see our our children about every six weeks. And then they would come home for the breaks and things like that. Socially, for both of them, that was much better than doing schooling at home. They enjoyed being with their colleagues. They enjoyed coming home, and the rules got less strict, and we Mm. became nice parents instead of uh, (laughs) disciplinarians. (laughs) And so, so, uh, and the food was better, and uh, so, so we actually had a very good secondary school uh, time for our children. When our son graduated from high school. That We had already decided that that was the time for us to go back to the West. And as I mentioned before, the last year, I couldn't work in the country and I didn't have a regular Mm. visa. But he was able to get that visa and finish his high school. His faith Mm. was much stronger than mine. And that's something that I think I'm so thankful for. We can learn faith from our children. We can learn God's goodness through our children. And... 
what we really were thankful for, it was so good. We lived in a community of followers of Jesus, foreigners, that, that were really caring for one another. And so they had examples of faith, not just us, but others too. So they were raised in a community of followers of Jesus, committed followers of Jesus. That really took off some of our rough edges, and they got the balance from other people who loved the Lord and served the Lord in a different way than we did. And so there were plenty of aunts and uncles around, which really made for a healthy context. Mm. Although one time when they were in their early teens, they said, we're so glad you're not like those parents, so lenient that their children can jump mm. over them. Or like those parents who are so strict that their kids rebel behind their backs. Uh, and mm. so we, we thought, oh, well. I guess we did something right. <laughs> well, amen to that. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering, like, when you look back, I think this is probably one of the hardest things in missions, raising children on the field. There are so many questions. There are so many issues. One of them is school. I think that's a huge issue. Will my child be prepared for university back in the West by attending the schools we're going to here in, in the country? How can I afford them? Sometimes they can become very expensive. But also, I think sometimes like MKs, missionary kids can become resentful. This is your calling, not mine. Why am I here? What do you think when you look out maybe at your own life, your own raising of your children, you and your wife raising your children, but also the things you've seen in other people, what do you think are some helpful things in raising children in hard places? And what do you think are some unhelpful things? Well, one of the things that I think was really helpful is at the level of their maturity, we told them about the problems we had. Uh, mm. So they entered into our struggles with us and mm. at the level they could understand because they, they were aware of the atmosphere around too. Mm. Kids pick up the atmosphere. So we were fairly open with the struggles we had with other workers, with the good, the bad, and the ugly at mm. the level of their maturity. And as their maturity grew, they understood. Uh, the other thing that we didn't do was we didn't force them to learn the language or to relate to mm. the people. Uh, mm. And for our son, he, he could run around and he learned, they both learned the local language as children as young preschool children, quite well because we had a family living right in our, actually in our backyard in what's called the servants' quarters. He worked as a cook for our boss, and he and his wife and children were, were there in the yard. So they would play around and have fun and learn the language just picking it up, and they did a great job at the early early stages. But then when, when it was school time, that, that family left, but uh, my son could continue talking with people and relating with people but in because of that restrictive context our daughter didn't have that much opportunity to spend time with people out on the street and and things like that she had to behave like a good girl with mm, yeah interesting yeah having said that she she did well and he did well when we went back to the west she learned to drive and was able to drive around she she really appreciated being that freedom, the freedom of not being in a restrictive context. Yeah. So do you think it's giving like not pressuring your children to love the people, love the culture? Is that something you found to be helpful for th for their own mental health and, en and enjoyment of their lives living overseas or living under your calling? Yeah, that I think it would to force them to do that would would have been counterproductive. They did enter mm. in at certain levels to the ministry, but that was on their time and on their decision. And our daughter, she made a decision quite early to be baptized and to follow the Lord. Our son took mm. longer and he was in high school. She was in grade school when she she made her a commitment to the Lord. And our son chose to follow Jesus, but he didn't get baptized till he was a teenager when he made the choice himself. And so those decisions were not pressured, were not mm. forced. They made their choices. And, you know, Jesus gave us the room to make our choices. So we gave them those choices. 
allow other people into their lives to help them. Don't just think that I have to, we have to do the parenting all ourselves. Mm, yeah. But let other people be involved in and of course that's a more holistic view of discipleship too, I think. And we didn't plan it that way, but it happened that way when we were so thankful for it. Well, unhelpful things would be to force them into into our ministry context. The unhelpful thing of me being always working and always doing work was probably unhelpful for them in their in their early days that I should have been around quite a bit more. Thankfully, when the children got older, we did do holidays together. We we did those Saturdays, uh, those days yeah. off together and that sort of stuff until they set up their own friendships and everything. Because we had two countries that we went on home assignments to, one of the things that my wife was very, very good at was that their education was never disrupted. So we mm. took breaks during the school holidays for the children. So they didn't have to miss school. Home mm. was in the country we worked in, not in our passport countries. All through secondary school until our daughter was two years from graduation and our son graduated, we had home and education in the context where we were working. Then we took our breaks every couple of years, both in both passport countries, so they could learn the language, both English and the language of that my wife, uh, wife's family spoke and develop relationships with their cousins, mm. their aunts and uncles and grandparents in both places. And I think that's, that's very important to make sure that the people that our chil your children and you have a healthy relationship with mm. your extended family, grandparents and aunts and uncles, cousins. And that's the reason why we decided as a family that we would stay in the West until our children graduated from university so that they could have a, a base and develop roots. And it took them three years to be able to say, yeah, we can live here. We can feel mm. wow. it. They were homesick for a place where we worked for two and a half, three years. They mm. watched uh, the movies from the country. They wow. they went to, to uh, special events or at least one special event that had only those people in the country we lived in. So they went there and they said, oh, it was so nice. There wasn't any mm. any foreigners, meaning the people from uh, well, yeah, there yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't a white face around. It was so good. And they had the, all the good food. They heard all the music and everything. So to allow time for them to adjust with us there in the passport country was really important. And now they have very good relationships with their aunts and uncles and their cousins. And the funny thing is that as soon as our daughter graduated from university, she decided she wanted to get a profession that would take her back to the country we were working. Mm. As soon as she finished that training, she was on a plane and she joined the same agency that we were working with. We thought, mm. what? You want to join the same agency and come to the same country? Can't you think of oh. anything better? <laughs> <laughs> and, and sure enough, she came and she worked there for a couple of years as a single. And then she wisely said, I don't think I can live here as a single. So thankfully, God provided a husband who she met in, in that country, and they mm. spent a couple of years there. Wow, interesting. Very, very, very similar to your story in a sense, isn't it? You met your wife overseas as well, right? Yeah, right, right. He was, and he was from our, my passport country, and he'd mm. spent time there. But now, after their traumatic experience where they nearly burnt out, they moved back yeah. to the West, and they're doing wonderfully with the Lord doing incredible stuff, growing in, in fellowship with the Lord. So it's not where you are that's so important. It's that you're walking with Jesus. Yeah, 100%. And my son, he would have loved to to serve. He even took his soon-to-be fiance with him to the field to, to show her what it was like. Mm, and then wow. they went as a married couple two more times. And he would have loved to serve in the same place we were. But then his wife said, you know, it's it's a little bit too much for me. I don't think I can handle mm. it. And he wisely said, I'm not going to force you. And now he 
he's an active, he was a lead elder in his, his home church and has helped the church make very, very healthy missional decisions. And uh, his wife is just a godly, godly mother, wonderful woman of God. So we have no complaints that he didn't go to the so-called field. Uh, he's serving right there in uh, the passport country. And where is the mission field anyway? And who are the missionaries? It's every single one of us who are serving the Lord. We can't Hmm. say that we're better than other people because we've gone to a different country. We're, We're very thankful that both of our children and their spouses have gone on with the Lord. It isn't guaranteed, that's for sure. I'm just wondering, in your 40 years... Over 40 years in cross-cultural work, in missions, full-time ministry, if you, if you were to look back and kind of had the opportunity to meet your, your young self, your 25-year-old self, with all the knowledge and experience that you have now, what would your advice, advice be to him? <laughs> you don't know. You, know. you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> buckle your seatbelt yeah buckle your seatbelt and stay close let Jesus let him in into your life talk with him about your joys your sorrows your suffering your journal journal Hmm. Hmm. listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit he has a Hmm. lot to tell you you can listen to his voice and follow what he says rather than the plans you may have developed that's going to be a wonderful journey because God loves relationship, and relationship is the key. Where you are, what you're doing, that's secondary to doing it in relationship Mm. with Jesus Mm. and listening closely to the Holy Spirit and let Mm. yourself be spoken to by God through his word. I feel like that that advice saves us from over-identifying with our ministry. And with our work, it recenters our the core of our identity on God and who we are in Him. Wow, beautiful advice. Thanks for being with me today. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, to hear and learn from your extraordinary life and your extraordinary experiences is such a treasure. Thanks for spending the time with me. Well, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to talk and Thank you for your questions. It, I'm so glad that you're you're thinking about these things and wanting uh, us to have these kinds of conversations. Yeah, amen to that. Wow, what a powerful story. What an incredible man and life lived. Hey, well done. You made it to the end of the podcast. That's nearly an hour. Give yourself a pat on the back. I really appreciate that you made it all the way to the end with me today. And uh, hey, just remember, I just want you to remember it's okay to be normal. 